Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. This week's features are the class of 1984 and the class of 1999. It's like a 15-year reunion if you're 54. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive-In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food or drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. It's more ridiculous that you guys think the internet travels through our power lines, or that you think moose fly, or that somebody names the, each individual moose and that everyone somehow knows what the name is. Yeah, he's your local moose. Don't you get a designated one for every uh, like township or something? I can't. I can't imagine you Canadians would be so rude as to not name your town moose. We're not going to assume that we know its name. We would wait for it to introduce itself. You'll find if you're ever in Canada that most people don't know each other's names because we're all too polite to go up and talk to somebody else. So nobody talks to each other. <laughs> Oh, I don't want to. I don't want to accidentally disturb them. I better not go over there. I've had enough being the representative Canadian amongst the internet social circles lately. I am so tired of explaining curling to Americans right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like every American I know thinks I'm an expert in curling, and I'm like, you throw the stupid rock thingy at the target. It's shaped like a target, just like what you guys would be shooting at. You should know what it's for. Yeah, but how do the brushes work? I still am not 100% convinced those do anything. I think it's just, oh, we can't tell them they can't play. Just let them brush. It'll be fine. It's all for show. <laughs> if you guys run, a, run ahead and use those brushes. I mean... Completely cut out, so I didn't hear the end of that joke. Yeah, it was like, it was it's almost like the joke became: if you guys run ahead and use those brushes, then and nothing happened. <laughs> <laughs> Probably better than whatever the joke Noah made was. True. So let's get into this week's movies. They're both class of movies, and none of us realized they were directed by the same person. <laughs> <laughs> None of us knew that they were directed by the same guy, and it's the guy that directed what I assume is all of ours, one of our favorite movies. 
and none of us knew that until coincidentally I looked it up halfway through watching one of these movies, which is hilarious. Yeah. I had no idea. So just completely blind. Uh, so the first one we're going to talk about is Class of 1984, uh, which has a very young uh, Michael Fox, as he's credited in this movie. Yes. Young and weirdly kind of overweight. Eh. No, I, think, I think it was just the 80s. Yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying he's fat. He's just yeah. puffy looking. And yeah. pretty much the rest of his entire career, he's always looked the exact same. I mean, now... He's old and he has Parkinson's and he still looks the exact fucking same. <laughs> it could be the 80s bowl cut that he's rocking. Ooh. Sure that doesn't help the uh, shape of his face. Um, yeah, so we get a new teacher who uh, is starting at this new school, Lincoln High School, which apparently is uh, overrun with gangs and all sorts of violence. To the point that we see another one of the teachers, Roddy McDowell, has a handgun in a suitcase that he carries carries with him everywhere, or his briefcase. Uh, that'd be fucked up if he just brought a suitcase to work every day. Uh, and so, of course, he comes. Uh, the this new guy comes in with all the, uh, you know, bright eyes and bushy tail of like, oh, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be, you know, this teacher that turns people's lives around and stuff in this broken school. Yes. And uh, the the local toughs do not enjoy this um, and start to cause much havoc in his life when he tries to get some of them um, arrested for either drug dealing or beating up people or in one case shiving somebody with a switchblade. Uh, so they try to uh, make his life uh, living hell uh, to the point where his wife is like, we should leave. And he's like, but I can't. It's my job. And I'm sitting there thinking, I don't know if any job is that important. So, But there were some kids that really wanted to learn and he had to stay with them to help because you, you miss the part where he's a music teacher and he's putting together the first yes. ever like orchestra on behalf of the high school, they're going to compete in some local competition. Yes. Uh, and so he feels he has to stick around for this, uh, this, uh, whatever the fuck you would just called it. Orchestra. Um, orchestra. And, uh, the gang leader who, uh, does not want him to stay, obviously at some point also fakes, uh, the teacher beating him up. So that he's uh, like his mom is like suing him or something, but the school allows him to stay until the court date so that he can do this orchestra bullshit, whatever. Um, and as expected, it culminates in the teacher versus the the gang at some point in the, in the school having a showdown. It's. It's basically a series of small escalations followed by a few yeah. very big escalations. <laughs> and, yeah. and then by the end, it's like, Jesus fucking Christ, what the fuck? Yeah. 
Yeah, it it is. It starts out as just like the like a really grounded film about like a new teacher moving to a rough school. And there were a lot of those in the eighties, where you would expect yeah. like everybody like from James Belushi to Morgan Freeman played the teacher that had to like solve the gang problem in the school. They all had their own different methods and stuff. <laughs> this one takes a bit of a different approach by slapping that special level of grindhouse sleaze over top of it. <laughs> uh, and did we mention that this this movie? Uh, filmed in 1982, set in 1984, is based on a true story. <laughs> two, two years it's, it's based in part on actual events. <laughs> this yeah, is you one keep of bringing that up. You, you keep bringing that up like they, they're saying that it happened in 1984 and was a true story. I'm just saying, there's a, I, I think there's a point of credibility where all of a sudden you can't say it's based on like true events or anything else you just can't like you've clearly taken so many fucking liberties well i don't think this is based on a, on an actual story that happened but it's definitely based on an attitude that people had in the 80s if we have younger listeners right now like i don't know especially like because like this is also a canadian film and up here we would get all these stories about schools in like detroit and everywhere else that are just like like the way they made them sound is that they were like these literal war zones closer to what we're going to see in the next movie actually. And it's like, I don't know, like as an adult, like looking back on those stories, it seems obvious to me that the situation was being exaggerated, that I'm sure there were gang issues in high schools in many cities, but I don't think they were ever this, I don't think the stuff that happens in this movie was happening in the real world ever. And maybe on one occasion somewhere, I don't know. But do you think the gangs were were predominantly white pretty boys as well? I don't know if you'd call these guys pretty. <laughs> I don't think there's the classic uh, the classic trope of movies where the guys like the gang leader is secretly brilliant and when he needs to he can suddenly break out his piano skills to impress everybody <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, Actually, uses I thought I thought that whole thing it seems cheesy but it's actually almost kind of a brilliant plot device because if you go into the movie not understanding how it's going to end like the fact that he can do all this stuff and he's clearly smart you start to go oh I see well he's like a prodigy he just has never had like structure or a good role model to like it, it makes know, it seem like he right could way. be saved yeah, yeah, it makes it seem like he could be saved, and if he's going to join the orchestra, like, and a lot of those other '80s movies about high school that I mentioned, with you know, again, I can't remember the names of any of them, but there's the principal, yeah, the Jim Belushi. Was, that was Jim Belushi, and I think yeah. Lean on Me was with Morgan Freeman, and there there was a lot of these right up in, into like the '90s. There was the one with Michelle Pfeiffer that this was a very common trope that the teacher would come in and like save the kid from his gang lifestyle and put him on the straight and narrow. Yeah. And, you yeah, can, exactly. This movie hints at being one of those movies early on, and then quickly just shit starts to escalate. And you go, okay, around the time that these kids are like running a their own like fucking criminal empire out of a fucking <laughs> bar where teenage head is playing, I'm like, Jesus, what's going on? Like, yeah, and they're doing they're running drugs and prostitutes and gambling. They're literally like the yeah. teenage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and this, yeah, and this one kid is in charge of it. It doesn't yeah. act like there's anybody like above him that's like telling him what to do. No, not at all. He has like because when they when they go to that like 
punk bar slash strip club that they <laughs> work out of. Like he's got an office in the back, and people come and like apply to join the gang, <laughs> and it's like a it, it is sort of a really dark process where like the one girl comes in and she's like willing to be a hooker in exchange for cocaine and they like force her to strip in front of the room and the one guy's gonna take her in the back room and like sample the potential merchandise and like the girl's like i'm gonna come watch and she follows them back and i'm like this is really fucking dark shit and it's i mean it's all done in that sleazy grindhouse way that makes it feel i don't know a little bit just not real enough that you don't ever you know it doesn't become like disturbing but it's like oh my god it's this is weird like this is not <laughs> like yeah. i i'm sure there i'm sure most high school gangs would maybe be selling drugs on behalf of some larger drug dealer outside and i'm sure you know they, they some of them are beating people up and stuff but this this seemed over the top to me <laughs> no I'm a big I'm a big fan too of the reveal where the teacher finally like goes over to uh evil pretty boy Nazi crime lord's house <laughs> and it turns out he's got like a really nice attentive mother who really is like just trying to do the best for her son and he's just a fucking manipulative psychopath. Yeah, that was a that was a really fun moment for me because he didn't cuz not only was she nice and attentive but the house was well kept and it was in a decent enough neighborhood it appeared you know it wasn't like the classic well you, you know he comes from this like hard knock life and he's just doing the best he can and trying to survive it's like no he's just a dick like he doesn't have to commit crimes if he doesn't want to <laughs> uh, yeah uh, this movie was pretty awesome <laughs> yeah I, I had a fucking blast watching this movie I, uh, like I, I made the comment to you guys before we started. It's like, well, if you had just said from the director of Commando and the writer of Happy Birthday to Me and Ilsa Shewolf of the SS, I mean, sold, right? <laughs> like, how does how can that possibly fail? Um, and it doesn't at all. Also, input from Tom Holland on the writing, but you know. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, a, a lot of a lot of talent behind this movie. I'm not surprised the results are as good as they are. I have had a great time watching this. I thought, you know, I thought everything about the movie worked. I loved the grindhouse feel of it. I loved the escalation of the tension between the two groups. And when the violence starts, it's great. It looks great. It feels just real enough where it's not easy to watch, but kind of fake enough that you're fine enjoying it. Mm. Um, even the scene where like, Roger McDowell's character snaps after the gang kills all of his research I kinda, animals. I kind of hope he won a fucking award for that because it's it was good, pretty intense. Like, like uh, he, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say I read that um, Mark Lester said this is probably the favorite scene, his favorite scene he's ever done in the movie. Um, and apparently, this is one of the scenes that's based off of a supposedly true incident. This is a little bit more over the top, but apparently at some point... The teacher lost it and put a gun in the kid's head. Well, I don't know if it went that far, but he did bring a gun into his classroom to keep the students in line, which I'm sure did not last very long. But that's the one he heard, and he's like, oh my god, I gotta put this in a movie. So, yeah, that was an awesome scene. And it's fucking Roddy McDowell, so it's awesome anyway. Yeah, well, I mean, when I saw him show up, I'm like, he doesn't 
belong in this movie. Like it doesn't. He's not fitting. I mean, first of all, why is there one British person in the movie? But second of all, like this actor shouldn't be doing this low-budget Canadian grindhouse film at this point in his career. And then you see that scene, and I'm like, well, thank God they got him, because a lesser actor that would have been a very cheesy, almost funny thing. And it it gets really serious and really intense, and you're just like is that teacher going to shoot that student for not knowing the answer to the question? Cause it seems like he's willing to do it. And when the students start getting the answers right too, you're like, Oh, well now it's, now it's working. That's even scarier. <laughs> yeah. Cause one thing you could say about this movie, it's definitely a, a like kind of a, in the, in that early eighties transition into the, ultra conservatism that kind of engulfed the western nations at that time where you had like you know you guys had like reagan and we had our own conservative prime minister up here and margaret thatcher in england and this sort of attitude of like these fucking punk kids just need somebody to smack them around until they learn their lesson was prominent at the time and you can very much see it in this movie yeah and i mean just i mean the final message of the movie the teacher gets away with killing all these kids and the implication is, well, they all had it coming anyway, so it's okay for a teacher to murder his students if they have it coming. And I don't necessarily call call me a left-wing nut job, but I don't necessarily agree that a teacher should go vigilante on his students. I don't know. Um, do, you, do, you, do you think that's the message of the movie? Because I feel like this movie's just completely nihilistic. Where they're like, yeah, the kids are bastards, but the fucking the staff at the school are all fucking worthless. And the cops are fucking worthless. And do you know what I mean? Like, nobody can fucking do anything. And in the end, the only thing that anybody ever gets away with is clearly the wrong thing, which is just grotesque acts of violence Mm. against each other. Yeah, I mean, he essentially gets away with it for the exact same reason that all those kids got away with all the shit that they were doing, too. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I feel like much like with, you know, Death Wish or other movies of this sort, this movie is very much like you know, celebrating the idea of a citizen taking the law into his own hands because it is almost that, you know, far right, hey, the government's useless, so, you know, everybody should just kill whoever's coming after them. Some guy tries to take your property or hurt you in some way. You just kill them. Problem solved. That way they're not, you know, it's, it's a very overly simplistic good guy versus bad guy attitude. And what's funny is in this movie, I think if you watch it objectively, the teacher's not really the good guy. Like he's definitely the victim at certain points in the film, but he does a lot of things. I mean, he does yeah. uh, like I mean the, the scene where the the student beats himself up and kind of pins it on the teacher. Yeah, the student's a psychopath who rams his own head off things and it like knocks his own teeth out using a sink in a school bathroom. Yeah, but. The teacher also had his hands on that student before that moment and dragged him into a bathroom and was threatening to beat him up. <laughs> and that's why it was so believable when the kid came out all beaten up, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't think he is a good guy, per se. I think he is. Uh, I think he starts out as a really good guy, but then, yeah, they push him so far. I mean, and it culminates in the end of the movie where... You know, he just goes fucking nuts, and I don't think I necessarily blame him. Um, I don't know. Like, do we want to do spoilers, or I don't know if there's. I mean, it's a it's an old movie, and I think 
most of the biggest impact of the movies the last 10 minutes so i don't see how we can do a spoiler free review of it sure um <laughs> well we should also bring up that he hotwires that kid's car and beats the living shit out of it in a parking deck that was fun to watch it <laughs> <laughs> uh, was so awesome that was an eye for an eye type situation. Like they burned up his car, and he's still trying to be the nice guy about it. When he realizes that that's not going to work, he just goes straight for that kid's car. <laughs> and it's, what he's, what I loved is like, because when you read the plot description on Wikipedia or something, it'll say, "Well, he drove the car into a wall." No, he drove the car into like five walls and just banged <laughs> it all around, and then got out. And there's a great little moment where, as just before he leaves, and he reaches through the broken window and locks the door. <laughs> like that's great. I like I like the fact that the teacher almost just represents this simmering, like impotent rage <laughs> of just there's nothing he can do. And even at the end of the movie, he still tries to do the right thing in the end. You know what I mean? He still wants to save the kids, despite the fact that they're fucking monsters. <laughs> well, yeah, and again, that's a very 80s thing. I mean, think about, I don't know the guy's name off the top of my head, but the guy that like and he got mugged a couple of times so then he sort of started carrying a gun on the subway and ended up killing a bunch of people and i think he got away with it it was oh, very yeah. fa very famous case and i think it, it was around the time this movie came out but that idea that you know crime was burning burning gets yeah yeah and that that but that whole idea that crime was overriding society and that you know people could do nothing about it so these people who took the law into their own hands became these heroes almost even though you know i think bernie gets like if you look back on that a lot of a lot of people would argue that he went out looking for people to kill and kind of pushed his luck or you know we won't debate the merits of that case without facts in front of us i guess but you know in, in this movie certainly this guy i mean he could have he could have handled the situation better and it would have led to a less violent result but he escalated it um Along with along with these supposed bad guys who are also responsible for the escalation, but it's well, I I would say though that I think that interpretation gets called into question because they pretty much insinuate that the last teacher basically was pushed face first down a flight of stairs and is crippled now because these kids had a vendetta against him, and I don't think he uh, was escalating it the same way this teacher was probably. Well, we so don't know, know that. Well, but you have to assume, if you assume the status quo that he was about the same as the rest of the teachers in the school. Yeah. I just said, it seems like the uh, the bad kids are pretty much a uh, like a ticking time bomb type of situation that they're going to get you. It might have it might have ended differently, but then we went and got the cool table saw scene. Oh, for movie purposes, don't get me wrong. I'm glad this guy escalated it. Yeah. <laughs> I just think that I just, I feel in watching it that the movie tries to betray him as more of a hero and I don't necessarily see him that way, but that's fine. Like it's, it's a movie and for movie purposes, I'm really glad the way this played out. Yeah. Glad, like, I'm glad, I'm glad about how everybody ended up in this film. I'm glad the teacher got away with it again in a movie. I'm glad that Michael J. Fox's character got to go play trumpet in his fucking orchestra. I'm glad everybody got was fine at the end. Like, 
Well, did he get to play it though? He got didn't Michael he, didn't... Michael Fox. Did he show up for the uh, actual? I thought, I thought he got out of the hospital in time. Am I mistaken? Oh, I might I be know. wrong. I might be wrong. I was really enjoying the violence at the end of the movie. I wasn't really paying attention <laughs> to the good kids anymore. Yeah. The yeah. violence is really good, and then the, all those little intermittent moments, like crashing the car, was really good. The uh, Roddy McDowell flick it, flipping out was good, but the scene after that where they, they get him off and he gets drunk and basically goes to where these kids hangs out and tries to run them down with the car. <laughs> that scene is also amazing because you see the uh, the the switch flip where, you know, of course, all these kids are the typical representation of teenagers who, you know, believe they're invincible and nothing bad's going to happen to them. Until the car comes screaming at them, and then all of a sudden, you know, they're terrified little children. Until he wrecks the car and bursts into flames and is dying, and then all of a sudden they go right back to "ha ha, fuck you," <laughs> you know. <laughs> Basically, showing you know that they learn nothing, no matter how incredibly horrible the circumstance, they learn nothing about what's going on. <laughs> well, they learn don't drink and drive. Because <laughs> look what happened to Rodney McDowell. <laughs> That's an important lesson for those kids to understand as they grow up. Or do they grow up? That's a good mm. question. Well, some of those. There's a lot more kids in that scene than there are in the... Uh, in, yeah, but those are just your run-of-the-mill punks. <laughs> They're not the head honcho punks. They just hang out at the bar with Teenage Head. They don't actually <laughs> participate in the crimes that go on in the back room. I, yeah. I, I suppose... Uh, since since it always makes Doug so comfortable, we should also say brutal rape scene. It's really bad. Yeah, it's not yeah. good. It's, yeah, it, it's intense. <clears throat> yeah, um, less less fun moment of the film, but <laughs> yeah, this acts as the uh, the impetus for the teacher to finally go off at the very end of the movie. Yeah, so yeah, they do they gang rape his pregnant wife. And then bring him pictures of it, yeah. which is at, at, at the uh, recital. Yeah, does, does nobody blames the character for losing it at that point? And this was obviously the storytellers saying, "Like, look, we want our big violent finish, but we still want this guy to be the hero. So we got to do something so terrible that the audience will be 100 percent on this guy's side." And if you're watching this movie and you see that scene, you're going to be 100 percent on this guy's side. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I've always, I've always been under the opinion that if you're going to put a rape scene in a movie, it should make the audience as uncomfortable as possible. I actually agree with that. I do think if you're going to use rape in a film, it should be difficult to watch. I believe this scene was difficult to watch. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't think I don't... anybody watching it would think it was fun. No. Like, right. And that's, I mean, that, that can be a problem for me is when, well, I mean, certainly we've talked about it in a few other <laughs> movies where the rape scenes are a little more, air quotes, fun. And it's like, it's not acceptable to me to do that. I do think this film, like this particular rape scene in this movie, it's plot relevant. It's consistent with what's been going on in the film and the escalation that's been, even though the escalation is definitely speeding up at that point from where it was earlier in the film. And it's mm-hmm. also... It is that level of brutal where you go like, 
I'm as uncomfortable watching this as I ought to be. So I, yeah. I won't say I didn't have a problem with it. That's not the right way to word it, but I didn't have the types of problems with the rapes in this movie as I've had in some of the other movies we've discussed. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. You basically, you feel how you should feel about a rape scene when you're watching in this movie. Um, all the kill scenes are awesome. Yep. Yes. Table, table saw is probably my favorite. Oh yeah. Table yeah. saw is awesome. Yeah. So they hide his wife like in the school while this recital is going on. So he runs, runs away from the recital and then just is in this darkened school. And for some reason, these gang members decide to try to attack him one by one throughout the school rather than just, you know, everybody all at once because people are stupid. Oh, they watch a lot of Bond movies. Yeah. And so, yeah, one of them, one of them is in the shop class and uh, is about to use the table saw and the dude turns the tables literally on this guy and uh, cuts his arm off with the table saw and then just throws him chest down on top of it, which was, or was it back first? I don't remember. Can't remember, but I remember it was awesome because you could just see the yeah. body shaking and you're just like, oh, I wish you guys could see how big the smile is on my face as you're describing this scene. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, tell you, I'll tell you something else they managed to do, which I think is hard to do in movies. You tend to, uh, it, with female bad guys, you tend to have a little more sympathy for them. Yeah. And so you're not as rooting for them to die. Man, they managed to make you hate that girl. Where you're like, oh, I hope she gets it worse. Yes. <laughs> she is every bit as evil as all her male counterparts. Yeah, for sure. Which is oddly progressive, I think, for a movie of this <laughs> yeah. era. Um, but yeah, like, yeah, like I mentioned earlier, like when the guy is going to go and essentially force himself on this woman who's there to apply for the prostitution job, she's like, I want to watch. It's like, that's a really sick thing to say and you know throughout the movie she plays as much a role in everything that goes on as any of the other background characters do obviously the gang leader plays more of a role but she's there for Mm -hmm. all the drug dealing and everything else that goes on yeah it's yeah she's gross um uh well he lights that one dude on fire in the in the auto shop yeah, and it's fun as hell to watch that guy burn. Yeah, do his dick. Um, yeah, because he, he finds the guy on the table saw. And he's like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill that guy." <laughs> Meanwhile, the teacher's been pouring gasoline all over this floor, and he walks in and uh, he says something smart or whatever, and the teacher's just like, "Nope, burned." Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Oh, this movie was fun. I'm trying to remember what he says, because basically the teacher's threat, you know, he knows he's standing in the gas, and the teacher's basically like, if you don't tell me where she is, I'm going to burn you, you know? Yeah. And the guy's like, well, why the hell would I tell you? And he's like, oh, good point. <laughs> uh, um, what's, the, what's the, well, the chick dies. How does she die? She dies uh, with the in the auto shop. Her, her, and the other guy, the uh, the fat guy. 
Yeah. And doesn't she... I'm trying to think, did they, didn't they knock a car on her at one point or something? Or that was the, the other guy? She she was in the car, and if I remember right, he like gets her to attempt to ram him, and he steps out of the way. Right. And so she wrecks into the, uh, the lift jack, killing the fat guy, and then the lift falls. So it basically drops another car down on top of her. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah, and then I guess that leaves uh, the... Oh, what the fuck was the guy's name? I, don't I, know, keep, the, I keep wanting to say Steadman or something like that. Yeah. yeah. It's something like that. You're not wrong. Um, we should start looking things like this up before we watch the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's Steadman. <laughs> so, so, of course, uh, for some reason, he runs off to, you know, try to rescue his wife who's in the school but doesn't tell anybody why he's leaving the recital because he was literally standing at the podium getting ready to uh, start the recital. Yeah. And so everybody in the auditorium just kind of sits and hangs out like thinking like, oh, he's going to come right back and then we'll just start the recital. (laughs) Well, they're a bit confused. (laughs) Um, But they wait long enough and eventually they're just, they don't, I don't know, they don't seem to know what they're going to do because the audience is getting restless and of course, one of the girls that's been in his uh, music class is like, "I think I could, I could compose it, so we can get going." Which I don't know if that's supposed to be the big triumph moment of like, "Look, his teaching did pay off." Of course, it is. Uh, so she gets up, starts the recital, and him and Stegman are up on the roof, and they're gonna have a fight. And of course, there just happens to be these nice skylights at the auditorium. If you. Uh, why wouldn't there see, be? See like, see where this is going. Like above the stage and above the lighting, where the where skylights would do no good because they would not let any natural light into the room. You mean? Well, yeah. And there are those there. brilliant double-layered skylights where there's a glass ceiling above the auditorium, but then an empty space, and then the skylights actually in the roof above it. Of course. Yeah. Again above the lighting so that it's, if anything, life, any light did come through there, it would actually screw up your lighting for your play <laughs> or whatever else is going on on the stage. Um, so yeah, him and Stegman are fighting. He punches him. He goes through the first layer of window into the space underneath, which has a bunch of like ropes and stuff. I'm guessing for rising and lowering curtains and I don't know, other theatrical stuff. Those those sandbaggy things. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so he get, he gets all tangled, but then he plays the uh, oh come on teach like don't let me fall like help me help me. And so uh, Norris, our teacher, is gonna. You can see he has the conflicting emotions of well he did rape my wife, but I am a teacher, so I should probably try to help him. <laughs> so of course he. Reaches out and grabs him, and of course the 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 ruffian pulls a switchblade out to, to try to stab him, and he lets him go, and then punches him in the face. Yeah, and that causes him to fall, get tangled up in the ropes, and then fall through the main skylight into the auditorium, while also getting uh, the ropes tangled up so that it ends up hanging him in the middle in, in the middle of the auditorium in front of everyone. I know. Thus ensuring that any goodwill this teacher had built up is offset because all those kids are scarred now. 
<laughs> yeah, that girl's never going to be able to compose anything ever again. Yeah. <laughs> I did like the uh, the additional little thing of whenever it shows you the close-up of Stegman's body hanging, he's still got that asshole smile on his face. Maybe want to punch my TV. It's it's a it's a really well done final like few moments. Then we just get the because if I remember correctly, you get the the wording. It just says, "By the way, teacher got away with all this stuff," and then it just that's it. You're done, right? Like we don't. There's no follow up yeah. whatsoever. There's no like police investigation. There's no anything. We don't need anything. Did we just lose Doug? No, he's still there. Oh. Did, did it just we... cut, did it just cut out on your end, Brian? No. I think my internet's bad. He was doing a pretty good explanation. You just ruined it. I'm, yeah. I'm, sorry, I missed. I missed. It. <laughs> that's all good. Well, that's, uh, kind, yeah. that's kind of how the show works, anyway. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we're just left with him and his wife, like on the roof, with the wording over top of it, and then roll credits. I love the implication that everything's fine at the end too, because it's <laughs> not fine. Like. That's a pregnant woman who just no. got gang raped. She's probably not going to walk away. Okay, <laughs> I feel like there'll be some consequences emotionally to this guy from having committed all these murders. Well, and the the ending is kind of weird that you know they try to pull the ha ha. You know he got away with it because nobody saw anything. You know he also has an envelope full of photographic evidence. And his wife is filled with the DNA of, you know, four or five rapists. Like, <laughs> airtight <laughs> defense. They didn't need to, like, come up well, with some smarmy fucking joke at the end for, oh, you got away with it because nobody saw anything. <laughs> but from a legal perspective, I don't believe that all that evidence would justify him putting a kid through a table saw and throwing another kid off the roof. Self-defense. Yeah, self-defense, Doug. Come on. Listen, if someone in Texas can shoot someone in their yard for touching their car... Someone in Texas can shoot somebody in their neighbor's yard for touching their neighbor's car if they feel that they would have shot them had they been in their yard shooting their touching their car. So let's not use that as our basis starting point. <laughs> solid, solid point. It's I, I I feel like when he was standing alone at the podium and hundreds of people saw him get handed an envelope and then tear off angrily <laughs> and then he went and committed all these murders that the self defense argument might go out the window. <laughs> but yeah. anyways, nobody nobody saw anything, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah. And that if, I mean it, it is a callback to the fact that every time he tried to get these kids in trouble, they would say, like, unless you have witnesses who saw what happened and are willing to testify. Because even Michael J. Fox's character, like, early in the film, when his friend is buying drugs and he's trying to stay out of it, he doesn't, you can tell he doesn't want to be there. He's kind of the innocent kid. And uh, when his friend ends up dying as a result of the drugs, in the like a very 80s drug death, because <laughs> apparently drugs make you want to climb flagpoles, but cause you to have no ability to climb down from flagpoles but anyways he so his friend dies and he won't testify and even after his character later is stabbed he still doesn't want to come forward and speak out against this gang so the message is clear like if these people don't say anything then 
I'm I'm trying That's... to figure out if Michael J. Fox's character is badass for getting stabbed and being like, I ain't telling, or <laughs> if he's a total bitch. Because he's one or the other. Well, see, there's this whole thing, like, I know in prison, like, you're not supposed to rat out people who commit crimes. But in my opinion, I think it's socially acceptable to tell on people who stab you. Like, I think you're allowed to give the guy, like, the guy who stabbed me is right over there. I think you're allowed to do that. I don't think it makes you a worse person. Like, I, I don't think you're a badass for not, not ratting the guy out. I'm like, he did stab you. <laughs> And he stabbed you because he saw you talking to a cop, so he already thinks you ratted him out. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Hmm. Maybe that's why he put the J in his name afterwards, to make himself sound more badass. I think it's just because he joined the Actors Union. I don't know how it works exactly. <laughs> that's I, think true. Because, I think this because this movie was made in Canada that it worked with a different union or something. Um, the thing I love is this movie solved a mystery for me I've had this this image burned into my brain since I was like 10 because my dad and my stepmom could care less like what movies me and my stepbrothers watched Yeah, and they had rented some movie and I didn't see the beginning of it but the only thing I do remember is the scene where the girl shows up and says she she wants to be a prostitute, so they make her take her clothes off to make sure that she's acceptable, I guess. And so for my 10-year-old self, of course, full frontal nudity, so that just burned into my brain. And then my stepbrother was being an idiot, kind of making a big deal about it, like, oh, I see boobies type stuff. So they made a shut it off because he was being stupid. So I never saw any, anything else of it, and I didn't know what movie it was. So I just had this scene like in my head, like for since then, not knowing where it came from. And this 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 viewing solved it for me. It's funny I mentioned that too because I had seen as a kid somewhere along the way part of the final fight scene where they're all fighting, and it included the table saw moment, and didn't leave as much of an impression on me as what your. Uh, implying that the nudity <laughs> left on you. Uh, so I wasn't seeking it out. But I've, I've wanted to see this movie for a long time, and I've then as I'm watching it, I'm like, that scene? If I'd known this movie was the one with that scene in it, I would have watched it a lot sooner. Because <laughs> I'm just like, oh, well, shit. Yeah. Well, I knew they were like, she was a punk, a punk girl and stuff. So when I watched Dead End Driving for the first time, I'm like, maybe it's this movie. And it wasn't that one. Turns that's, out, class of 1984. It's truly unfortunate. Yeah, it's, I do feel like this movie could have used maybe one more set of boobs. Like it could have been just a little more exploity. Yeah, just just a just a little. It it did have a number of the classic 80s shots of just the girls are walking in the short shorts, and the camera for whatever reason is focused right on their asses. <laughs> that's I mean. <laughs> I mean, you, I mean, how many Friday the Thirteenth have that shot in them? It's like it's like when you're watching an Aronofsky film and you're you're you see the shot over the shoulder and you're like, oh, I know who made this movie now. But now when you watch an early '80s grindhouse film, you're like, oh, I know where this, I know when this was made. <laughs> Girls didn't wear shorts like that at any other time, and they keep pointing it out to me. <laughs> it's like they're so short on the bottom; it's so high on the top. It's strange. <laughs> Uh, I love you, 1980s. 
anything else before we move on to our next movie? Uh, good performances, good movie, highest recommend. I would agree. Yeah, I don't really have anything negative to say about this movie at all. I think, you know, you could argue about some of the messaging in it, but who cares? It's a grindhouse film. Yeah, I immediately uh, looked up to see if there was a physical release of this movie because I'm old and that's still how I collect stuff. And uh, I saw that uh, my favorite company, Screen Factory, put it out on Blu-ray a couple years ago. So I immediately purchased it. So it's should be on its way to my house relatively soon. I can see myself picking this one up. It's I don't buy as many movies as you do, and I rarely buy them the week after we review them on the show. <laughs> it's like, well, I'm not going to want to watch it again right away, but uh, I'll be revisiting this one for yeah. sure. Well, they I got like it's... lots of interviews with the director and stuff on it, so I'm really interested to like listen to uh, him talk about this movie, considering he also directed the next movie. Which still hilarious to me that we had no idea. <laughs> yeah. Which I feel like he was talking to somebody and he's like, you know, that movie nineteen eighty class of 1984 I did? What if we did that but added robots? <laughs> and someone was like, here is a blank check. Go make your movie. Just make sure you cast uh, Stacey Keach in it and we're good to go. Who will be the main character? Bring me Edward Furlong. Oh, no, he's got a career now. He's not going to do it. Bring me someone who can pretend to be Edward Furlong. Well, that's interesting that you went Edward Furlong, because I really wanted it to be Corey Feldman. (laughs) That's fair. Then they are somewhat interchangeable. I just feel that given the... Because this movie was made in 1990, Mm -hmm. I think that... I'm trying to think of how old those guys are to see which one of them would have been perfect for this movie. <laughs> well, 1990 <laughs> T2 this, wasn't for like another year, was it? Right. T2 was 91 or 92. Yeah. T2 this might one. have been ripping off this movie with their whole like, <laughs> robots that look like people thing. Maybe. Um, <laughs> do, do you guys recognize that guy from anything? No. Who? Poor man's Edward Furlong? Yes. Uh, he was in one of the Nightmare on Elm Streets, right? He was the sleepwalker from Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Oh, right. He gets turned into a marionette, yeah. Yeah, probably the best death scene in the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Uh, it's one of them, yeah. Yeah. It's at least top, top, top three. Yeah. That's still, Um, that's pretty good. It's, it's up there along with, uh, welcome to prime time, bitch. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> uh, also from part three, because part three is fucking amazing. Oh, I got the uh, box set. I got to watch part three. I know, right? Uh, Doug, so why don't you tell us about uh, Stacy Keach implanting uh, robots into a very similar high school to the one from class 1984. <laughs> Yeah, this is sort of a spiritual follow-up to the class of 1984. Um, It is a different dystopian future where society has gone to the gangs so badly that there are what's called like free fire zones where the cops Mm -hmm. just won't go in, um, which is interesting. And they basically have decided that this one high school that is located in a free fire zone is going to be reopened 
and they're going to staff it with terminators as teachers um and as part of the experiment they're also going to release some of like the worst criminal children out of jail and send them back to this high school and despite the fact that this company is a military company, in no way are these teachers military robots. But then it turns out they are military robots. <laughs> <laughs> and so things go awry, and uh, basically our gangs end up having to fight the robots. But there's some great plot points in the middle where the principal, played by Malcolm McDowell, tries to put a stop to this whole experiment, and he's taken out. And then the the robot, the robot teachers decide to implement uh, some strategic warfare and actually turn the gangs against each other so that they don't have to kill all the gang members themselves, um, which is really an interesting plot twist for robots to think, man, killing all these gang members is going to take so long. Let's just have them kill each other. Insert Stacy Keach with, like, I don't know. I don't know if that's technically a mullet. I feel like he had to, I feel like there was a lot of negotiation that went into Stacy Keach's appearance in this film. They're like, they're like we're going to have you dyed all white, and then we're going to give you these cool, like, contact lenses so your eyes look all messed up and then on the day he's like yeah you're not dying my mustache that stays that stays exactly like how i keep it you can do whatever else you want to me but i'm keeping the mustache your character has to have this mullet it's like uh i'm already letting you dye my hair white i don't know if i'm going mullet though and so they ended up with this weird rat tail thing that was like half a mullet it's like uh, i feel like there was i feel like that was like the biggest contract negotiation in mark lester's uh Filmography is just <laughs> what can Stacy Keach look like in this movie? <laughs> and yeah, it's so weird because he can't get rid of the mustache. That's his he, money maker. He doesn't have to look weird either. That's the thing about him. He's not one of the robots. He's the guy that works for the company that built the robots. Who's, who's <laughs> who knows that they could go awry and is simply doesn't care because he's looking for the big military contract. Um, so he could just look like a normal Stacy Keach in his like he looks sleazy enough if you just put him in a normal suit that he'd be fine. But they have to like give him this weird futuristic look that makes no sense. He looks like he belongs in Demolition Man. Yes, he does. <laughs> Except for the mustache. The mustache is timeless. It could be in any Yes. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> uh we should mention one of the uh teaching terminators played by Pam Greer. Yeah. Interesting that another one by Patrick Compatrick. Yes. Got really quiet here. Yeah, because I'm trying to remember who Patrick 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 is. What? <laughs> Look at his fucking picture. He's in shit tons of action movies. I know, but it's that thing where I'm like, yeah, but which one do I know him from? So now it's just going to be awkwardly silent while I search through his IMDb. And you guys, <laughs> well, while you're just, that, I will also, you guys just talking also about other things. The, fact that that the, uh, the girlfriend character, uh, I don't know if either of you guys would recognize her. Because she's in My Boyfriend's Back, the movie that I will get on this show. <laughs> We've been trying so hard to get us to watch that. You will watch it. <laughs> uh, she was also in Fright Night, too. Story. Oh, she was in Fright Night too. That's where I know her from. 
So Patrick Kilpatrick, Doug. He was in uh, Remo yeah. Williams. Come on, Remo Williams is that's the one I recognize him from, and he was also in uh, Death Warrant. <laughs> Just made same year as this, I would think, or around that. But oh, and anyways. oddly enough, he played a Terminator on Terminator: The Sarah Connor Chronicles. Well, he's an expert at that role because he. Yeah. Although they, they the one interesting thing about this movie is that these robots that are in this movie very rarely act like robots except we do we get at the end obviously the climax of the film we'll, we'll discuss in detail but they're all very robotic in that but we get a few f- very funny moments like when the history teacher guy is decides to spank one of the students in class <laughs> and his hand he, he just it reminds me of like the buffy bot one from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, how they would just do that ridiculous over-the-top robot stuff to let everyone know that that's what was going on. Yeah. <laughs> they decided to do that for one moment in the middle of this film. <laughs> yeah, that was so weird. So yeah, I this is movie very similar to the last one in the sense that, okay, so we get this setup, which is clearly more ridiculous than the setup in the last film, but that's fine. We're told yeah. early on, yeah, they're, they're sending Terminators into this school, but it is the same type of just escalation. I mean, it starts early on with like kids just trying to sneak knives into the school and stuff, and then it ends up being very quickly, it ends up just being like a, one of these robots just kills one of the kids. <laughs> and then you've got the kids just the the main character who has just been released from jail and he's trying to stay out of trouble but he has to like him and the principal's daughter break into the same apartment where all of the the three robots live together <laughs> and he's like they start going through the cupboards and there's where you think you'd find food there's just WD-40 and stuff <laughs> <laughs> of course and it's like it just it really has because that scene ends and that I, th- I'm, I, I want to try to put a timeline. That's pretty much the balls of the wall moment because after that is when the uh, the robots start chasing them and then start the gang war and then it's just murder, yeah. murder, murder for the rest of the movie. But but the point I was going to say where the movie flips for me is when the robots are chasing him and he tricks them into going off the pier in their car because it's the 80s. That's how things work. Everybody ends up in the lake eventually. And... Uh, <laughs> You just see the three robots come walking out of the lake, all soaking wet, and the one goes, well, we'll have to requisition another vehicle. <laughs> like, we, forgot so- we forgot to mention, as they're flying through the air, you hear Pam Greer go, lovely day for a swim. <laughs> and then they hit the water. <laughs> Told you it's from the director of Commando. <laughs> I, would, I would also like to point out that I told... Uh, Brian and you this earlier on the text that it's weird seeing Pam Greer in a movie and her never taking her clothes off. It's weird. Well, I call bullshit because she takes her clothes off at the end of the movie when they're burned off of her. <laughs> yeah, no, it's that's just, different. That's her just, metal innards. That's not her great big fine boobies. Well, that's what her great big fine boobies look like when she's a robot. So Her robo teats. I don't know why you're being so judgmental of her that's just what she looks like underneath. I'll tell you what, they do do a smart thing with her through the entire movie, and her outfits are very, like, uh, bulky. They make her very, like, uh, uh, broad through the whole movie, so that whenever they do the reveal and they, like, melt her skin and stuff, it makes her stay proportional. 
<laughs> That's actually a really good point. Yeah. yeah, it's it's pretty smart. Yeah, because I don't know off the top of my head what the budget for a film like this is, but you can tell they didn't have Terminator money to do these effects. Oh, yeah, $75, $80. But it is... The effects are towards the end of the movie when the robots, they all have... They all have like one hand that can convert into a weapon. There's a flamethrower. There's like a, a gun. I forget what the third one is. But they, they all have they, they can all convert part of their body into a weapon because they were military robots after all. That was all a mislead when they said, Don't worry, they're not military robots. Um spoiler, just spoiler under, alert. Uh, just under five and a half million for this budget. Are you serious? That they did a fantastic job on that money. Because those robots, they don't, they're not, they're not Terminator good, but I mean, they are pretty good. They're good. They're like theatrical film good. They're not, they're not groundbreaking, but there's nothing embarrassing that happens uh, effects wise. And for for that low money, I'm surprised. Yeah. So the thing I took away from this movie, watching it and seeing the environment that everybody's in. Uh, my question is like, why do any of these kids even go to school? Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> the whole setup for this movie is that this neighborhood is so war torn that the police refuse to go in it, and they are literally like the school buses have to have like these giant cages built around them in order for like the kids inside to be safe from the neighborhood. But all the neighborhood kids still go to school every day. <laughs> and they like submit to searches by security and all this other stuff. Like, that this doesn't seem to be holding up to me. <laughs> I don't necessarily feel that that's how it would work. It's like, yeah, I'm just going to go to school every day so I can just harass my teachers and not get my my education. Because it's funny because, like, uh, what's his name, Culp or whatever the the main character. Like, there are a couple of moments where because he's decided he's gonna he's gonna you know go down the straight and narrow path and stay out of trouble so he doesn't get thrown back in prison and he actually gets kicked out of his gang and all this other stuff but then he has like these really weird moments where he's like I'm going to stay home tonight and do my homework and it's like you're going to be the only one that's ever done homework in the history of that neighborhood that they've established <laughs> this is like Mad Max future and you've got kids still going to regular school in the middle of it it's it's a bit ridiculous <laughs> But it's also a bit awesome. I have to honestly just say that. Uh, we should mention that his younger brother is played by the young kid from Near Dark. Yeah. Which I thought was awesome. Yeah, he's that kid is. I don't. I love him because I love his performance in Near Dark. But he Why stands out. He's creepy and weird. Yeah, he's creepy and weird, and he doesn't belong in. And he does not. He, sh- he shouldn't be an actor. He doesn't belong in movies, because he does. He he's only good at being a creepy, weird vampire kid. <laughs> uh, additional interesting things that pop up in the movie: Rose McGowan is in this movie. If you pay very close attention, really? <laughs> yeah, she's she's one of the girls outside of the principal's office whenever uh, Corey is drug in for the first time. Oh. Hmm. And They're also, random person in the movie, uh, Lee Ehrenberg, <laughs> who you guys would remember as the Eternal Flame from Freaked. <laughs> oh, okay. Hmm. Would we remember, though? You should. 
<laughs> I know you were all distracted by Stacy Keach and, and fucking Malcolm McDowell. Yeah, crazy ass. <laughs> Recognizing those guys first. I was really caught off guard when Malcolm McDowell came on screen. I kept thinking, maybe it's just a guy that looks like him, and then he talks, and I'm like, nope, that's him. <laughs> that's a very distinctive voice. I don't, I don't know if you know this, but Malcolm McDowell is a very, very fine actor. Yes. He will take any fucking job that is offered to him. Yes. It does seem that way, yes. I saw a video interview with him where he talked about how he used to be really picky about the movies he was in. And then he realized, like, why the fuck am I being so picky? So now it just comes down to, have I visited the, this location before where they're filming? No? Then I will be in your movie. That's outstanding. That's actually, like... Because I was thinking, well, if they'll pay me, I'll go, would be the logic. But if it's, I just want to go to that city, I love that. I love that as a reason for doing movies. <laughs> I respect that. Where was this one filmed? Do we know? Uh, I don't know. Um, weirdly enough, I remember do reading. Uh, it was filmed in Seattle. Yeah, so it was filmed in Seattle where they sort of set the movie. Did you look at the name of the high school that they actually shot in? Lincoln High School. Yeah, which was the name of the the high school from the last movie. Yet they did they change the name in this movie? It wasn't the same name, was it? This was Kennedy. <coughs> Ooh, swallowed something. Um, the name of the school in the movie was Kennedy High School. That's sort of funny because this is this is air quotes the you know the spiritual sequel to the last film. If giving the high schools the same name would have actually been really convenient, but they changed it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I thought for sure it was the same. So that's why I texted you guys. I'm like, wait, is this sort of a sequel? I believe the high schools are the same. And Noah made sure to tell me that that was not true. Yeah. It would have been sweet if it was. Well, I mean, you could argue that these, there's nothing that stops these movies from being sequels to each other. We just have to figure out what happened to society between 1984 <laughs> and 1999. Well, well, judging by the fact that apparently this director thought in 1982 that two years from now, schools would be run by drug lord super criminal teenagers. No, I, think, I think we're misspeaking and we have to be very careful because we don't want listeners to call us out on this. But I don't actually think that movie was set in 1984. It was set in 82 because oh, of the class funny. of 84. But those kids weren't ready to graduate yet. Ooh. So... Da-da. So that would feature whole, your whole theory there, Noah. But that would make them sophomores. And? I, don't think, I don't think that math works. <laughs> I don't know what sophomore means because that's an American term, but... Uh, they'd be... What? 10th uh, grade? Out of, out of 12? Yeah, that, that works about right. Yeah, because the one kid that is younger than that is like a little younger and he's trying to join the gang, he's 14. And probably the actor was like 26. So if all those other actors are about 28, 29, that would make them 15, 16. I think it works. Yeah, Noah. Plus, you got to figure none of those kids are passing every class. They're going to need an extra semester or two to get <laughs> before they can graduate. 
The movie was presupposing that they'd all be in. Oh, and you know what? I believe that movie was actually filmed in. Well, this is. We are getting way too deep into this, but I believe that film, that movie was filmed in Canada, probably in Ontario, and Ontario had actually five years of high school in the 80s, not four. So they could have actually been in like grade 11. So I think it all works out. Well, there you go. Okay. Now, back to the movie we're actually discussing. (laughs) (laughs) Not my useless knowledge of Canadian high school rules from the 80s. I felt like the last movie could have used a little bit more nudity. I feel like this movie could have used a lot more nudity. <laughs> like, I'll be down. I, I'm down with that. I I, I do I think that like from uh, up on the exploitation, and they should have really they should have turned into that skid. <laughs> I definitely think this movie in 1990 was. I mean, 1990 is a very different era of filmmaking from 1982. I just think they were like, yeah, we don't want a bunch of underage girls, even though the actors are probably of age, running around naked, which is just, it's just a change in the times, right? It was it would have been way less acceptable at that point in time. A lot fewer parents would have let you rent this movie from your local video store. Mm, I don't know. Does does anybody feel like the, now that we know that the the same director did both of these movies that he was making some kind of a statement with the second movie where the first movie he's like okay listen you know I justified that teacher killing those kids but look in this movie these kids are way fucking worse <laughs> and now I'm gonna take the side of the fucking terrible kids against the the fascist robo teachers. <laughs> oh, for sure. It's the, it, that's the times changing, right? Eighties ultra conservatism, you know, fucking send somebody out there and kill these punk kids by the nineties. This, this fucking movie came out just a, a year before. Nevermind was released <laughs> Yeah, for sure. It's that just that beginning of that nineties kind of pushback against that. And that fine, you know, fuck authority type attitude that was very prominent when I was in high school. It may have gotten me into a little bit of trouble. Which I now think all those teachers were robots. That's, oh. why, they were, that's why they were against me. I'm going to go with that theory. <laughs> where do you have Pam Greer? That would be awesome if Pam Greer was my high school teacher. <laughs> <laughs> I wish so much. <laughs> I don't. If, if I'm going to be honest, if if we time traveled back to me in high school and Pam Greer walked in as a substitute teacher, the the first thing would be me looking around at everyone else to see if anyone else understood what the fuck was going on. Like, <laughs> this is it's Pam Greer, and everybody'd be like, "Who the fuck is Pam Greer?" And I'd be like, "I hate you all." <laughs> uh, replace what Noah just said with uh, looking around to see if anybody notices boner. <laughs> and that would be more correct, probably. Well, first of all, <laughs> I would have had a boner anyway, sir. So that is relevant to this conversation. Uh, <sighs> see, Noah's got to work penis into into the podcast somehow, even though you I brought have him. To help. Did did he or was it all part of my plan? <laughs> How awesome was the battle scene between the two gangs when the uh, when the teachers finally they kill one member of each gang 
and make it look like the gangs did it. So the gangs will meet and have a fight. That fight scene, fantastic, because these gangs are armed to the teeth, and they're just blasting away at each other. All of a sudden, one of the gangs is Spanish for some reason. I don't think they were up until that point in the movie. And then you've got the robo-teachers that are just sneaking in behind and just taking out extra members of the gangs. Oh, it's freaking fantastic. Ridiculous. We, we do need to get Is that what we're doing for? So the creepy weirdness of Angel. Uh, his death scene, I'm pretty sure you're supposed to feel bad when he dies. Did anyone else just laugh hysterically when that teacher whipped him into the wall? Because he just like chucks him like a like a sack of garbage. I I enjoyed watching it. I won't lie to you. I did <laughs> I did think there was some real genuine emotion to the scene where his brother shows up and finds the body. I thought that was handled pretty well. Um, but I the actual it, kills are definitely it, over the top. I think it was. I think that scene was good right up until the end where he starts going, jump me in! Jump me in! (laughs) (laughs) That was definitely like an adult who had watched like too much 2020 in the late 80s and they're like, oh, that's how gangs get kids in is they like part of the initiation process. You have to beat them up as if they would do that right before they went to another fight because you want this guy injured going into your battle. (laughs) <laughs> I, I would say the Mexican gang, the uh I do believe they're called the Razor Heads. Yeah. The the Razor Heads gang colors, okay, pretty normal. They kind of have like almost like a camo-y military y thing going on. Uh the other gang, what the fuck was their name? The the Black Hearts. Yeah. Is that right? Which is a terrible, terrible fucking gang name. Yes. Uh, their colors are like like purple and lime green. Yeah. They and they like wear they wear like sports color. coats almost. It's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> they were big uh Charlotte Hornets fans. Come on. It was bad. <laughs> fun. I, I will say this for this movie. This movie is a lot of fucking fun to watch mostly because it's so fucking ridiculous. Like, the entire premise where they're like, set in a future where gangs have taken over, and you're like, okay, well, I believe you that, like, there could be a future where the gangs take over, but that's not what the fuck it looks like. (laughs) Well, no, in the opening scenes when they're driving to school the first time and they're going through that neighborhood, that is what it looks like, that weird Mad Max neighborhood they go through. But then when they get to the high school and it's just a normal high school with a slightly higher fence around it. (laughs) Yeah. This is a movie where one of the gangs tries to rape the principal's daughter. Our lead character jumps in and saves her. Okay, so we're fine. Yeah. They threatened to throw him in jail for getting into a fight, even though he was saving a rape victim at the time. And the only reason he gets away with it is because it was the principal's daughter. And their principal's like, well, since it was my daughter, I won't report this. Otherwise, you'd be gone. <laughs> what the fuck? He saved her. <laughs> like, he didn't randomly get into a fight on the street. He saved a girl from being raped. <laughs> And, th- and nothing happens to the guys that were going to rape her, by the way. Everybody knows. Everybody just accepts that this is the story. Nobody thinks we should arrest those children who are trying to commit a rape on campus. 
the, the we discussed the last movie how the rape is handled properly in this movie i feel it was kind of glossed <laughs> over pretty much now it is i guess because it was stopped before it happened it's like a little different but nevertheless glossed over and it was one of those things that it's the rape it's it's the most casual rape <laughs> ever where the gang's sitting there and they're like hey it's that girl and somebody's like yeah i'm gonna go rape her and somebody else is like nope I'm going to go rape her. And they're like, yeah! He's going to go rape her. <laughs> Woo! Our gang is cool. Yeah, that's pretty much how the scene goes. Yeah. Once again, it's a good movie for bad reasons. I don't agree, though, because I think the movie does know exactly what it's doing. And it's doing all this stuff on purpose. Like, this, all these plot lines and these air quotes characters are just there to get us to the big fight moments, the big action moments, mm-hmm. which are fun as hell to watch. Yeah. Right. The gang battle, like you were talking about earlier, <laughs> it's just fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Was it somebody like throws a grenade in a building and you see the entire building just explode. <laughs> sure. Just like, what the fuck? Like they literally just blew an entire building up. All these high schoolers. <laughs> Again, but they still go to class every day. And they exactly. Still get, like, they still like get upset when they get kicked out of class for like talking or something. Yeah, they're gonna see each other in the halls the next day. But <laughs> I, I, I also, but that's I, Ricky. He threw the grenade in that building and blew it up with like five people in it yesterday. <laughs> the uh, the end fight where they finally go to face uh, Terminator teachers in the school where they where they drive their dirt bikes around the. Yeah, okay. <laughs> driving, awesome. driving the dirt bikes up and down the hallways, I totally get it. You know, it increases your speed, right? You kind yeah. of like maneuver. Why are they driving them through the classrooms filled with the fucking gas? <laughs> like, we got to make sure there's I, nobody in there. It takes, me. it takes more time than walking. Noah, Noah, do you, are you not recognizing how cool dirt bikes are? Is that the problem here? <laughs> are, are you failing to understand that? <laughs> Listen, I'm not saying those dirt bikes weren't bitching and that they probably didn't get sweet air off the ramps. I'm sure they did. Well, then, then I don't know why you're asking all these crazy questions. Yeah, it was. It's so funny because, like, I don't know how big of a high school you guys went to, but I actually went to a pretty small high school. So the idea of riding a dirt bike around in your school... I'm like, oh, going from like one end of the hallway to the other would take like 10 seconds, and then I have to go <laughs> upstairs or downstairs. That's, that's what this movie needed was a scene where they had to wait for the elevator to get the dirt bike up the stairs. <laughs> they had to get the kid with like that was in a wheelchair to let me use the student card because it was locked to all the other students. <laughs> Did anyone else expect the, uh, the first, you know, I know this is your first time. That in the end, the uh, history teacher was going to be the, like, boss fight guy. <laughs> it was sort of set up that way, because he also is the one that, at the at the gang fight, he's the one that sort of reveals himself to the uh, to them as a, as a robo-teacher Terminator guy. Because that, that's a great moment, too, where his hands come through the wall and he pulls that kid back and snaps him in half and pulls him through the wall. <laughs> that was awesome. 
I also like his crazy claw with a drill in it. Right. That's the third weapon I couldn't think of earlier. It does not seem... It doesn't seem very effective. But, no. I mean, he gets a kill. <laughs> I mean, it's not blow-torture minigun. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, you can't kill a ton of people with your weird claw drill. But, you know, you can get one guy real good. <laughs> Oh, yeah, we forgot to mention that, that uh, the, the robo teachers kidnapped the principal's daughter. Right, and that's and, what uh, leads to this. What they, leads they, to our final battle. And they try to pin it on the Razorheads by Pam Greer doing her voice impersonation of their leader. But <laughs> Cole put, comes up with the with the genius deduction like, wait, why would Hector be a school? And everybody's like, you're right, he wouldn't be a school. And so the two the, the two gangs decide to like team up to take the teachers down. Yeah, it's it's a bit crazy. It's this movie feels a little bit more like it was directed by the guy who made Commando. <laughs> <laughs> but it's oh yeah, I mean it it is because it, again it's another one of those crazy moments where it's like the movie's moving along pretty quickly at this point and you're not thinking about it but now that we're discussing it I'm like it's all based on uh, that that whole thing is based on this presumption that like why would he go to school at night like it's against the rules to be in the school at night nobody would do that in our neighborhood that's so war torn that police no longer come in here <laughs> and literally the police have put up a sign that said police will not follow past this sign <laughs> Was anyone else disappointed we didn't get a Dukes of Hazard moment where somebody was being chased by the cops and oh. I think he just had to make it past the sign and then the cops had to stop at the sign? Like, that oh, great. he's free now. That would have been great. Well, them drug dealing Duke boys. <laughs> Don't write Mark Lester. Uh, I'm going to write Mark Lester a letter. I'd be like, sir, you failed in one of your movies to include this scene. It would have been awesome. Missed opportunity. If you, uh, if you by any chance are releasing some sort of special edition and you'd like to add that scene, <laughs> feel free to use it. Uh, yeah. uh, so I'm, I'm going to assume a recommend from, from all of us, probably. Oh yeah. yeah, this one's super fun. It's it's a it's a bad good movie <laughs> or a good bad movie. It's one or the other. Yeah. I mean, I'm even go as far as say I just think it's a good movie. It's a ridiculous movie. It, it's, but it, like again, I think it knows it's ridiculous. I think that the you know some of the one-liners and that are the director's way of nodding to the audience and saying like we know what we're doing here. We recognize that putting Terminators in a high school was not the best solution. We recognize that there's no reason for Stacy Keach to look like this, and we apologize we couldn't negotiate in him dyeing his mustache. <laughs> like that's just. I, I think I think they knew exactly what they're doing. They and it worked out pretty well. And I've avoided this one because of like the cheesy um, cover art on the box, where it shows them the one of the robots kind of pulling their skin back to reveal the robots robotics underneath. And I always mm. thought like, well, that doesn't look very good. Uh, and I was mistaken. I should have watched this a long time ago. <laughs> so, do either one of you have an interest in watching the sequel? Class of 1999 to the substitute. You mean the one I own? <laughs> <laughs> Have you watched it? Yeah. Is it any good? 
by your standards or my standards? By, by the standards of this movie. Oh, good. Well, no, no, <laughs> I didn't figure. So it's it's fun though. I mean, if you can if you can get in on like those bad uh, kickboxer sequels, mm-hmm. it's the same thing with robots. Like, yeah. Well, that's not a compliment, in my opinion. <laughs> I do have a soft spot for those kickboxer sequels just because I watched the shit out of them when they were on cable when I was younger. I was a big, bigger fan of the uh, kickboxer ripoffs such as King of the Kickboxers. Mm, I didn't see that one. And the Iron Fist. <laughs> or no, sorry. Fist of Iron. <laughs> I'm sure there's probably both movies called both those things. The... <laughs> uh. Um, all right. Anything else before we move on? Uh, yeah, I would like to point out that this movie does one of the things that uh, sci-fi movies are never, ever, ever supposed to do unless they are Dune, mm-hmm. and that is using weird terminology for things that isn't well defined, so it doesn't fucking mean anything. Every scene where Stacy Keach is in this film, he's saying something like, "My." God, it just made a seven-dimensional level five decision. <laughs> it's like, it doesn't fucking mean anything. Well, what, the, what the fuck is the point of this scene? It's if you to don't show tell you, the audience what the fuck that means, it doesn't mean anything. It means all the robots are more advanced than even Stacy Keach would expect. So, I don't know why you had a problem with that. He could just say... My God, it's making better decisions than we thought it could. <laughs> My favorite line from him was something like, it's the artificial intelligence. It's no longer artificial. <laughs> it's like, what? They're still robots. <laughs> Plus, I mean, if you're building robots, the whole concept is that you're building robots for the military. You don't want robots that make decisions in their own way. You want robots that make the decision that you would want your soldier to make in those circumstances. <laughs> Soldiers are not thought to, to think independently on uh, on the battlefield. That's not the objective. Like, just go out there and do whatever you think is best in the moment. That's not <laughs> usually how they run things. <sighs> it's it's definitely a recommend. I mean, not For watching sure. it would be what like a level two multi-dimensional decision, <laughs> which is pathetic. Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to themidnightdrivein at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. fuck is that i think doug's watching porn no i'm watching an old clip from monday nitro where rick flair is in a mental hospital for some reason <laughs> i was hoping if i turned on the sound so i could try to figure out why he's in a mental hospital that you guys wouldn't hear it but <sighs> i'm sure that was coming if i hadn't closed my phone <laughs> I do like that. I, I'm like I've liked a couple uh, um, wrestling pages on Facebook, yep. and they'll just randomly post shit that's on YouTube. Like this episode of Monday Night Raw. This is when Al Snow and Hardcore Holly fought out to the river. 
I'm like, oh, that was a good match. So I spend like ten minutes of my day at work, like watching watching old wrestling matches. <laughs> that can be a problem for me because <laughs> it won't happen when I'm at work. It'll happen when I'm supposed to be listening to my girlfriend talk, and she'll be like, "You've had your head in your phone for a while now." Like, oh, yeah. Sorry, I'm watching the. 1989 Royal Rumble. It's the first one ever, I think. So, <laughs> see if the one man well, gang still w- see it wins it this time. Or <laughs> she's like, "You should be listening to me," and you're like, "But first one ever." Because <laughs> <laughs> a couple of the things I've followed on Facebook or wherever, it's it's not like a video clip, so you can't pause it. They're like streaming it live somehow. Oh, uh, okay. So it's like if I don't watch it now i might never get to watch this again (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i think wwf old school is the one i like they put up old all kinds of weird shit sometimes let's see what's the first one that pops up um oh it's the champion versus champion title versus title winner take all NWA World Heavyweight Champion Ric Flair versus WWF World Champion Bob Backlitz. Jesus. Shit. It's like the press conference for it. When? What year was that? 1982. It was at the Omni, July 4th, 1982. Uh, needless to say, that no belt changed hands that night as the match ended in a double countout. Yeah, and unfortunately, sense. no video footage of this match exists. So this interview <coughs> with Gordon Sully conducted with them, which aired on Georgia Championship Wrestling a day before the event, is any everything that's out there about this match. Well, that's disappointing. What the fuck would you have a title versus title match and nobody puts it on TV? <laughs> no kidding, right? Oh, and then here's a... Uh, Rob Van Dam commercial for slushies for 7-Eleven back in the early 2000s. RBD. Here, Doug, I'll send you the link to this group because it's pretty awesome. Alright. It'll probably get me into trouble. But... Probably, but it's, it's worth it. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> All right, so after a long time without any feedback, we actually have an email that came into our mailbox or email box or what what the fuck do they call it nowadays? Inbox. (laughs) What do they call these newfangled boxes? (laughs) I don't understand. Where is it that you get your electronic mail? Where where is that? Um, So Brian wrote in, uh, unfortunately spelled with an I, so that means we're mortal enemies for all of time. I uh, said, sup, guys. This is the first time emailing in. He's been listening since the last horror cast, and although I'm bummed that it came to an end, he's really happy to see the new incarnation with Midnight Drive-In, and he's been listening to Doug since he was on Horror Etc., even though I was a late bloomer to that one, too. Um, <laughs> so Brian has show ideas, which is, you know, we always follow strictly. Um which means that usually it's about another year and a half before we forget that we had show ideas we were supposed to do. Yeah, but it, maybe these ones will be different. Maybe. There's <laughs> <laughs> so a couple ideas for show topics since you covered some black exploitation superhero comedy flicks. How about some black exploitation comedies like I'm Gonna Get You Sucker and Black Dynamite? That's not a bad which, idea. Which that- is. 
any excuse to watch Black Dynamite, I'm totally all about. Although, Black Dynamite's a little newer, so I think it would have to be, I'm going to get you, sucker, and uh, don't be a menace to society while drinking your juice in the park. Oh, I fucking hate oh, that movie. This is the type of controversy that happens when people suggest shows. <laughs> Uh, both amazing and hilarious. Also, an idea, and also an idea I had for TLH, but was never going to be able to get it out. Was both Vampire Hunter D films, really good horror anime. I'm a big uh, fan. I enjoy them as well. I'm not really into into anime at all, but I do like the Vampire Hunter D movies. Never seen them, so. Oh, it was also a anything. pretty sweet video game. Uh, not the deepest movies, but still worth a watch if you haven't seen them. And finally, since Brian uh, is such a huge fan of Jigsaw, which when I see people on Facebook saying, hey, I'm giving this a shot, I'm always like, don't. Just don't. Um, and he said, this may actually tie in with your quasi-Australian episode of Pigs and Razorback. Uh, Undead and Daybreakers, both directed by the Spirit Brothers, were born in Germany and are currently Australian filmmakers. Undead and Daybreakers are fun, but I was sad to see that they directed Jigsaw. That's all for that's all for today. Keep it up, guys. Thanks. Daybreakers is really hit or miss. Like it's got really great parts and then huge stretches of the movie where you're like, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> well, I remember enjoying it, but it's been forever since I've seen it. That's what I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I'm just I'm saying it's an inconsistent like yeah. watch. And then uh, Undead, I remember watching uh, for Drunken Zombie and really enjoying it. Undead have an unnatural number of sheep in it. No. Okay, I might be thinking of a different movie. Uh, this is the one that takes place in Africa. It's like zombies. What's it? What's it? A natural number of sheep. <laughs> How many sheep would one have to have? Are you thinking of black sheep? No. That has a perfect <laughs> number of sheep in it. And, the perfect, and maybe too few were sheep. But I don't know. I don't know what I'm thinking of. Some other movie. Oh, uh, you know what? I'm thinking of the wrong movie. I was thinking of The Dead. Which is okay. not the same. Um, yeah, this one. A quaint Australian fishing village is overcome by meteorites that turn its residents into ravenous undead, leaving a small group of those unharmed to find a way out. Sold. Sounds yeah. actually really awesome. Yeah, I'd watch it. And Daybreakers is another one of those ones I've had sitting here for years and haven't watched yet. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe I can finally take one of those off the list, too. It's, it's got Defoe in it, you know? Yeah, and Ethan Hawke. Depending on how you feel about Ethan Hawke, I guess. I don't give a fuck about Ethan Hawke. It's oh. got Defoe in it, though. <laughs> so I tell you what, uh, Brian, I'm going to add I'm gonna add these to the list right now. Like he's your mortal enemy, and we never do the things that people suggest. You're still going to... Well, let's be fair. I'm going to add it to the list, which means... We still haven't even done stuff that we've had on the list since the very first like meeting we had about what movies we wanted to cover. I think it only took us the last request. It only took us a month. It's 
pretty impressive. This this time it's going to be more than a month. Yeah, we've actually well, yeah, got a whole month already planned there, out. Just there already. are shenanigans. Plus, we have our Easter show to get to. Oh, sure uh, the Easter show! Easter. Easter show is going to be amazing. So, everybody, uh, everybody, get ready for that one. Easter show is probably one of those ones where we're going to just get like. Uh, it's, we're going to be bombarded with so much feedback and we're, our site's going to crash due to all the excess downloads. <laughs> and it's just... Yeah, it's, it's going to be a bit of a problem. So I hope our regular listeners can still get access to the episode. Uh, it's going to be good. Big plans. Big plans in place for our Easter show. Um, Alright, so yeah, that's all the feedback we got. Uh, you can always hit us up uh, the midnight podcast at gmail.com as uh, our lovely bumper says multiple times throughout the show. Yeah. Um, so did anybody watch anything since last week? Doug? Uh, not really. I started watching the Netflix series Mindhunter, mm. but I did not get to finish it since our last recording. So I don't really have full thoughts on it. It's good so far. Yeah, I haven't started it yet. I've uh, it's on my list, along with like a billion other things. The the actor who plays uh, 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 what's his first name? Ed Ed Kemper. Is mm. that the serial killer's name? Yeah, yeah. That actor is fucking amazing and should win awards. That's what I've heard. Yeah, it's ridiculous. He comes off so. Uh, menacing without being menacing I, I don't know how to explain it like <laughs> where you're like oh jesus this guy would fucking kill me you know what i mean he'd he kill seems... me, but he wouldn't even care if he did it that's the yeah. impression you get so it's like he he's not going to kill me because he's angry at me but he might just kill me because there's nothing else to do in the next four minutes yeah hmm. yeah so I'm trying to find a good time to watch that because uh, it's something like Amanda wants to watch it too. So I can't really start it without her, but then it's like, man, we're never going to get to it because we got tons of other shit to watch. So I don't know. I'm curious though. Yeah, so I, I personally, I really like all the serial killer aspects of the show. I don't like the sort of when they follow the detective characters home and we get to know about their personal lives and stuff. It's not mm-hmm. as good. It's still all well made and the acting's good and there's nothing wrong with it. It's just, I'm like, I'm always get me back to like them solving crimes and meeting with serial killers and stuff. That, yeah. that will actually get worse. <laughs> so <laughs> I, right. I apologize in advance for that because like that main character just gets fucking insufferable where you're like, I don't stop fucking talking. Just do more serial killer stuff. Yeah. I understand the need for like, you're telling a true story. You need to know who the characters are and everything, but I'm just much more about the, uh, I don't know. I'm much more interested in just watching them interview serial killers, quite frankly. And the, I do think the parts where they get involved in, 
helping smaller police agencies solve their crimes. I find that stuff interesting, but I don't know. Yeah, hmm. when there, there's a whole thing where the guy's got like this girlfriend and she's opening his eyes to new things, and it's like I don't care if his eyes get open to new things or not, unless the serial killer's gonna like pry his eyes open and pin them, pin them open, <laughs> keep them open to new things. That'd be awesome, but. <laughs> So, anyways, that's that's all I've watched this last week. So, well, what about you, Noah? Uh, well, after watching Class of nineteen ninety nine and and saying to myself, "This is a total Terminator ripoff," I was like, "Watch Terminator." <laughs> Fair enough. So, there's so, that rabbit hole for Noah. This, well, there's there's a good news because that rabbit hole has a pretty shallow bottom. Because I watched Terminator 1 and Terminator 2, and I fucking hate every other Terminator thing that's been done. I hate them all. They're all shit. Like, not not a fucking one of them has been worth my time and just make me angry. <laughs> but the uh, first two are awesome. See, okay, so Terminator 1 is like this amazing classic. Terminator 2 is a very good movie. I, 3, I think, is fine. Like yeah. it's just a big dumb action movie. That's where I'm at with that one. Like I don't have the problems with it that other people have. Yeah, it's like one, two, and then like a huge gap, and then three. But yeah. I don't, I don't like hate it. Like some people are just like, oh, it's fucking horrible. Like Noah just said, it's shitty. Yeah. It's a shitty movie. <laughs> I, just, I, just, I just don't see how it's that different from the other ones. Like it's. I, I think the problem is is that the other two are so good that by comparison it's just a steamy pile of shit. Like that's when you make a movie in a series, it automatically gets compared to the other ones, and the first two are two of the most awesome movies ever. Yeah. That's how yeah, I could I understand that. Uh and so because because I could not follow that rabbit hole any further <laughs> Because once again, I hate all those movies, so I wasn't going to do that to myself because that's that's just ridiculous. Uh, I was like, "What what other Robo things can I watch?" I was like, "RoboCop." <laughs> Fair enough. So then I went deep into the Robo hole and watched all the RoboCop movies. <laughs> oh, don't ever go deep in the Robo hole. <laughs> Got to go deep in the Robo hole. <laughs> I don't think I've ever revisited any of the RoboCop stuff except for the first film. Everything else I think I've seen once. I will say this. They consistently get worse. <laughs> like, so Robo, RoboCop is um, amazing. It, especially if you put it in the context of like rated R action movies in general, quite possibly the best action movie ever made. Quite, quite possibly. Like, I'm not saying it is. I'm saying it's arguably on the list of ones you can scream about. You could have a debate about it, and people would not think that was weird. Yeah, yeah, nobody, would, nobody would go. That doesn't deserve to be on that list. Yeah. Uh, the The second one is just kind of like all right, and man, that third one, you're like, what in the fuck? <laughs> you see, again, I watched it a lot on cable when I was younger, so I kind of have a soft spot for three, even though it did ruin Fred Decker's career. Oh yeah, no. It jetpacked it right into oblivion. <laughs> yeah. But come on. 
Ninja Robots. Who doesn't like Ninja Robots? I love Ninja Robots. It's still, man. <laughs> I'll, I'll come out and take the anti-Ninja Robot stance if you guys need me to. <laughs> I, I do find it weird that... Uh, so with RoboCop, how is it that studios and filmmakers don't understand what's good about RoboCop? Because that's why the sequels got worse and stuff. So, you know, the first one, awesome, rated R, like, just fucking violent, intense movie. And then the second one, almost comedic PG movie. And then the third one's just like, oh, fuck it. (laughs) (laughs) And, And then the remake, they were like, okay, well violent movie that everybody fucking loves. Let's really just let's PG the shit out of it. And and in no way will that make it a worse movie. <laughs> um I just don't fucking I don't get it. I, I mean I think the violence the violence of the first movie is integral to why it's a good movie. Yeah. I agree with that. I don't know. The, the violence and the social commentary that runs through that movie that you can't recreate in sequels. You just, you can't do that. Um, so they probably should never have tried, but it's not. I don't know. For, See, I, think, I think you could have followed it up with something that had the same tone and you know, made something worthy of being a sequel. Because even even the second movie, which I don't think is a bad movie by by any stretch, it's not a, a super good movie, but it's it's you know milk toast bullshit. But you could have made something awesome. It wouldn't have been as good as the first one because that's one of those miracles of cinema that everything just came together the right way. Yeah. I mean, certainly you could make a good sequel to anything. I just think studios are always trying to figure out how to take a product and expand it to a wider market. And RoboCop, I think, was made for a very specific market. (laughs) Um, So to try to expand that out, you have to change the core of what it is. But you know what the weird thing with RoboCop is, though? I think it was made for a specific market, and for some reason, it hit all the markets. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, starting with just the fact that it came out in 1987 when kids were still allowed to watch movies like that, and by the time they were making sequels to it, kids were being more protected. So it's like, well, if we want them, if we want all those kids to see this, the follow-up, we've got to somehow dumb it down to their level bring the violence down to a level that parents will still let them watch it in whatever year the sequel came out. Probably 91 or something. Well, do you know who did take RoboCop seriously, Noah? Who's that? WCW. That's a valid point. (laughs) There was a moment where Sting is locked in a cage by the Four Horsemen, and RoboCop literally RoboCop comes out to break him out of the cage. <sighs> Wrestling was awesome. That was... <laughs> you go back and you watch footage of that now, and it is so ridiculous because 
you know, you're making a movie. You can edit it to make it look like a guy in that giant suit can move fast. In front of a live audience, you just have to let him travel at whatever speed you can move while wearing that suit. And that is not a fast speed. Oh, shit. Uh, so I just put a little link to the footage in our our Facebook chat. Um, and it's from the WWE Network where they were having Road Dog Jesse James and another guy like sort of do commentary over like this is shit that really happened in wrestling sort of thing. <laughs> but Doug, it comes full circle because at the end of this is also them discussing Ric Flair and the Nuthouse. Really? Huh. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's going to get edited out or not, but for people at home, Doug was watching footage, footage of Ric Flair in a uh, crazy house during his time in WCW. Yeah, I tried to get away with it. I pulled up my phone and I tried to get away with turning on the volume so that I could figure out why he was in a nut house. <laughs> and I, I, that's what everybody else found out. I had my phone out while we were supposed to be recording. Uh, uh, so good. Yeah, I don't know. Did either, either one of you ever watch the RoboCop, the TV series? Uh, I remember the cartoon series. Oh, there was a live action TV series too. Yeah, I never watched I it. Me neither. I was too afraid. Uh, well, for me, I think it was one of those things where I'm like, I was gonna wait for it to come out on VHS or DVD, whatever, whatever time period it was, to so I could watch it all at once because I kind of didn't start watching it from the beginning. Hmm. And this is why network television is gradually going away in favor of things like Netflix is because now you can do that with anything. But uh, back then it was like, oh, I never got around to it because I don't know if they ever released it properly for home video or what, or if they released it and I just, just forgotten about them. Well, Doug, you'd be happy to know <laughs> <laughs> the first two hour TV movie. And then 10 other episodes are available on YouTube. Sweet. Yeah, I'm not going to watch that. <laughs> I don't play. But I may go right ahead and watch the original RoboCop again because I haven't seen it since we did it for the last podcast. Yeah. RoboCop's awesome. Yeah. One final note on RoboCop the scene where he shoots the guy in the dick through the chick's skirt. Mm. Yeah. Still one of the best fucking things that's another like random rape scene in just 80s movies but what's particularly special about that is that they recreated that scene for the game boy game that my parents bought me of robocop (laughs) and you're you're robocop and you have to try to aim in and shoot that guy while he hides behind his rape victim and that was just sold that was just sold to children Do you have to shoot him in the dick? I always tried. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta make it like the movie, otherwise it doesn't count. Uh, I think my brother had the Sega Genesis RoboCop game. That thing was not fun to play. Uh, you got anything else, Noah? Uh, no, that's it. Although the, uh, the first teaser trailer for the... Uh, Karate Kid TV show came out. Oh, it did? Yeah. Oh, I gotta watch that. Do we need to take a pause so you can watch it? Yes. And we're back. What did you think, Doug? Are you excited? I am excited, I have to admit. I am... 
call me a bit of a sucker for the Karate Kid series, but <laughs> <laughs> I love that stupid movie. That first one is amazing. Uh, it's so good. Yeah, my, I think back when you know stuff was still coming out on DVD before Blu-ray, and they put out the Karate Kid like box set. Yeah. I, of course, bought it day one because I was like, fuck right. It's the box set. It's all four movies because before the horrendous remake. And I think my friend thought he was trying to be like uh, a smart ass. Hey, did you go buy the Karate Kid box set? Yes. Yet? And I was like, uh, yeah, I bought it day one. Why? That's stupid. And I'm like, you're stupid. It's the Karate Kid. Shut your mouth. You know what I hate, love? Who hates the Karate Kid? I don't know. I hope you're not friends with that guy anymore. I don't really talk to him much anymore. Yeah. What I love about that series is that the, so the first movie, the kid's getting bullied, goes to goes into this tournament to like prove himself, demonstrates mm-hmm. that he's you know a tough guy and that he can hold his own, earns the respect of his peers. Perfect, right? Mm-hmm. Second movie, flies off to Japan with his teacher. <laughs> <laughs> then proceeds to in a life or death battle over the love of some girl that he's known for like two weeks. Third third movie? Hey, it's the anniversary of the tournament. I better go defend my title. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> That's so random. It's like, it's like, ah, it's like, it's almost like the producers are like, I think we went a step too far. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the third movie, all I can fucking remember is the stupid bonsai tree. <laughs> it's not stupid, Noah. It's a symbol of life. Do you remember when the one guy breaks the bonsai tree? Uh, like, oh, are you kidding? I wanted to punch that guy in the face. Yeah, except you couldn't because he was so good at karate. Only That's the right. Kid could punch him in the face. That's because poor man Steven Seagal taught him karate. That's correct. Yeah, so so you do point out that, yeah, it's life or death and then come back to a tournament. But then the villain, the teacher from the first one, gets sets up this plan with poor man Steven Seagal to have him Shanghai this, this kid and then points out that he wants to make wants him to make that kid bleed at some point. So the whole purpose is like we're grown adults. We're gonna pull this plan so this kid will show up and we can beat the living shit out of him, and then have a good laugh about it. Pretty much. There's. <laughs> keep in mind that this is all based on the assumption that because Daniel Larusso won the tournament last year, the Cobra Kai dojo has completely gone under. <laughs> like what? Your guy didn't win the tournament. We're all pulling our kids out of your karate classes. <laughs> Uh, <sighs> yeah. crazy. and then i mean i did say that it comes for life and death back to just the tournament but at one point when daniel whichever girl he's dating in the third movie are like climbing down that mountainside to get that bonsai tree they do like threaten to throw them off the mountain if he doesn't <laughs> sign up for a tournament <laughs> like, do you want to fight in this tournament no not particularly fine then we'll kill you <laughs> It seems a little like they went a little too far. Uh, I like they actually like send the uh, send the uh, contract down. <laughs> That's that right. He has to sign it while he's dangling there, <laughs> and the girl's still discouraging him from doing it. If I remember correctly, it's not worth it. Uh, it's going to be high tide here in about <laughs> half an hour, and we're going to die. 
<laughs> it's probably worth it. I just remember the fourth movie coming out and watching it and getting about 15 minutes into that movie and thinking, oh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but Mr. Miyagi gets to start all over again. Oh but this God. time with a girl. There's, I remember thinking, like, I don't care that it's a girl as long as she's good at karate. What difference does it make? And then they do the really annoying scene where Mr. Biagi walks in under changing her shirt. Yeah. And it's exactly. like, oh, for fuck's sakes. <laughs> I think that's when I turned that movie off. It's like, oh, so much easier with boy. <laughs> <laughs> Did anybody see Karate Dog? <laughs> no. <laughs> This is gonna send Noah on a on a rabbit hole. <laughs> I can't wait till it, and then because I watched one talking dog movie, I had to watch all the talking dog movies. <laughs> so Next watched... week's segment is gonna be amazing. <laughs> so it was Top Dog with Chuck Norris. I just remember at one point thinking, I'm never gonna watch one of these stupid Karate Kid knockoff things again. Even if they are sequels, and then Sidekicks came out, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I like this movie." Sidekicks, <laughs> is, am- Sidekicks is amazing. That's why. <laughs> Fucking Chuck Norris. <laughs> imaginary, was- imaginary Chuck Norris for most of the movie. <laughs> what the hell was the name of the '80s TV show where the cop like adopted like a little Asian kid, and the little Asian kid was amazing at karate? That was just- also called Sidekicks. That was also called Sidekicks. That's what I was thinking. I'm like. Yeah, there was that movie with Jonathan Brandis and Chuck Norris, where Chuck Norris is his imaginary friend as Chuck Norris. That's what that movie's about? Teaches him karate through being an imaginary person. (laughs) But then at the end, he meets the real Chuck Norris. (laughs) (laughs) I saw that shit in the theater. I've never seen that, but that might be on my watch list now. And, And he overcomes his asthma. That's right. <laughs> oh, this has got to be on does YouTube. That, does that movie end with him waking up in a mental institution and realizing he's been making everything up that's gone on? No, but that that movie does end with Chuck Norris literally kicking someone into a backflip. Awesome. Here you go, Doug. It's all on YouTube. How have you never seen Sidekicks? <laughs> I've seen the 80s TV show. I just haven't seen the Chuck Norris movie. <laughs> I don't think I knew the part where Chuck Norris was an imaginary friend or I would have watched this a long time yeah. ago. <laughs> yeah, I believe... Uh, oh, Danica McKellar's in it. Winnie Cooper. Winnie Cooper plays the girl he's in love with. Really? What's yeah, the, this is the what's, best movie ever. This is why she retired from acting? <laughs> and Bo Bridges plays his dad. This is the best movie ever. <laughs> this does sound like the best movie ever. Well, I gotta go, guys. <laughs> and it's even got a Mr. Oh, Joe Piscopo plays the evil martial arts instructor on the other side. Yeah, he's he's the one who gets kicked by Chuck Norris. I forgot it was Joe Piscopo. <laughs> Telling me Joe Piscopo can do a backflip. Oh, oh my Whatever god! What happened to Jonathan Brandis? Uh, he committed suicide. Did he? Yes. Oh, that's fucking sad. It's in his mid twenties. <laughs> he hung himself. You're not supposed to laugh when you say that's fucking sad. No. I wonder. I wonder. It makes it seem disingenuous. I, I. Well, it's it's unexpected things that are unexpected are funny. 
Uh, it was shortly after Sequest went off the air. Oh, man. It's been a long time. I remember being really bummed. Well, that brought the tone of the show. <laughs> but Sidekicks is in full on YouTube, so rejoice. I'm going to enjoy it now. Uh, you will, because it's got imaginary Chuck Norris playing Chuck Norris. <laughs> All right. Is, is it like Last Jedi when he's imaginary? Does he look like younger than he does? And then in real life, he's like, his wait, it's all white and stuff. <laughs> no, he looks exactly the same. What? IMDb, IMDb must be confused. Why? Because it's saying Jonathan Brandis is in an awful lot of new things for being dead. <laughs> hey, you still get credit if you show up. I want to see what you're talking about. Well, if it's IMDb, look at his actor credits. He's yeah, in it. Up until 2005. Is that yeah, when Sequest went off the air? I, I don't know. Sequest went off the air apparently in 96. So nine years. So yeah, shortly after Sequest yeah, ended. That's a decade. <laughs> Everything under 10 years is shortly. Everybody knows yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, so 2005, he killed himself. So, oh, he died in 2003, actually. And his last mo- couple movies came out after he died. So, yeah, it was only like seven years. See? Totally makes sense. Poor Sebastian. He was not my Sebastian. He was the poor man, Sebastian. <laughs> All right. Do you have anything else you want to know? No, but now I'm going to have to watch all the Jonathan Brandis movies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, luckily, outside of uh, his TV show, there wasn't like a shit ton of them. Or maybe there was. I don't know. I already closed my browser. I'm not opening it again. Oh, shit. He was on an episode of Sledgehammer. <laughs> of course he was, because Sledgehammer was awesome. <laughs> All right. Good old sledgehammer. So, all right. If you didn't watch anything else. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I only got three things to talk about. Uh, The first one was I watched the new Victor Crowley movie. Victor Crowley. Um, It was okay. Wasn't great. Uh, unfortunately, I feel like the Hatchet series is an every other movie type of series. Like, I really like the first one. The second one, I didn't think it was very good. I like the third one. And now the fourth one is just okay. It was more about being excited that there was another Hatchet movie. Probably than anything else. Yeah, as long as it's not a failure, it'll still be fun to watch. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like they do find an interesting way of bringing Victor Crowley back. Um, sort of works. Um, somebody compared this movie to something else, and it's like, oh yeah, well that makes sense, but I completely forgot what it was. So that's not even a point I should have brought up. Oh, well. uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, so the the one guy who lived from part the end of part three, who is played by Perry Shen, who's in every Hatchet movie playing a different character, um. He's the only one who apparently survived from the end of part three. So now it's 10 years later 
and he's getting paid what he thinks is a lot of money to come do this interview at the location where it happened. Uh, he finds out later he's been bamboozled. But, um, of course, the private jet they're on crashes into the swamp where uh, some other kids are trying to make a low-budget Victor Crowley movie. And, well, the real Victor Crowley ends up showing up and pretty much just eviscerating everybody. Um, like I said, it's okay. I'm just I'm glad there's another Hatchet movie. But I just hope there's another one and that it's really good. Because then that will prove my every other movie theory. And I can be happy with myself. Um, see, I kept hearing a lot about this movie called The Ritual on Netflix. Yep. So I checked it out. And Doug, I think this movie, while I enjoyed it, I think it's going to be right up your alley. Um, would you say you're a fan of movies where like guys like go out into the woods for whatever reason and then turns out there's something hunting them so then they're like lost and cut off and have to figure out how to survive? That sounds like something I would be a fan of. Yeah. Well, that's pretty much what this movie is. Um, so at the beginning of the movie, uh, there's this horrible thing where people are robbing a convenience store um this guy dies he's technically with his group of friends but they were sort of like hanging out across the street while him and uh this other friend ran over to grab a something to drink real quick like something out of the liquor store and somebody robbed it and ended up killing one friend and the other friend is now living with this guilt that he kind of was hiding behind one of the uh um uh, one of the aisles like one of the end caps so he feels like he could have done something to stop it but didn't but before all this happened he comments that they should all take like a trip to like you know go out and go hiking in the woods and stuff because they're all starting to get older and like i think one of them just got married and some of the, you know they're talking about having kids or something so like oh next year we should go out and do this well, that shit happens. They don't. He doesn't get to go, so they all take the trip like in remembrance of him. Um, and then, of course, one of them, who of course is the fat, clumsy one, trips and falls and like bangs his knee all up. So then, like, ah, oh, fuck! Like it's it's like a fourteen-hour like walk back to civilization, whatever you know, inn they were staying at. But someone's like, but if we cut through this large swath of forest, we can cut like eight hours off that. So, of course, they do. And they get into these woods and there's like weird symbols like carved into some of the trees. And they find this uh, cabin because it starts pouring down rain. So they find this weird cabin and um, decide to sleep there overnight while they wait for this rain to stop. And of course, inside the cabin is like this weird, like, um, uh, like a statue made out of wood or something, but it's like, it looks really fucked up and weird. And so of course, as they're sleeping, they all have weird ass nightmares and they wake up like one of them is like naked upstairs, like praying to this thing and he doesn't remember doing it. And 
This one guy has like claw marks on his chest, and so there's just like all this weird shit happening. Um, and then they find out there's something like in the woods that's following them. And so then it becomes like we have to figure out how to survive in this in these woods while this thing's following us. What does it all mean? What do all these symbols mean? Um, and ends up being pretty good. It's one of those like I feel like this should have been the new Blair Witch movie because it feels way more like a Blair Witch movie than the last one did. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it sounds really interesting, and I've heard that Blair Witch comparison from other people. Yeah, and I haven't like looked too much into it, but everything that's going on apparently, if you look into like Norse mytholog,y and stuff. Like there's stuff from North Mytho- Norse mythology they pulled out for this movie. Well, that's kind of cool. So I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, it actually reminded me of that movie Rituals with Hal Holbrook, where uh, all the army guys go out or all the doctors go out, and then someone steals all their shoes and like all that kind of stuff. So it feels like it starts out that way, and then it turns into this weird, fucked up like movie towards the end of it so worth a watch if you have access to netflix yeah i think i'm gonna have to watch that one sounds really interesting yeah it's good and i immediately was like oh i think doug is a big fan of rituals and stuff like that so i bet he would enjoy this guy's loss in the woods being chased by something motif yep uh the last thing i watched is the new season of Channel Zero started, which I'm a big fan of. Um, I really enjoyed first season. Second season started off good, but then kind of fell flat by the end of it. Uh, but this new season, Butcher's Block, there's only been two episodes so far. Um, and it's this girl moves with her sister to this town where the, the main character is going to be a social worker, and it turns out her sister has like schizophrenia, and her their mother had it too. And so they're trying to like get away from all the shit that happened back home. Um, and then there's this weird sort of town legend of this guy who owned a bunch of meatpacking plants in town called Peaches Meats, which is a weird fucking name. Um, but then like it's one day he just closed all of them down and then just kind of disappeared. Um, And then other people are saying they find this weird like stairway in this park that just leads up to nowhere. And then there's a weird uh, uh, little person running around in a uh, like red cloak, uh, killing people with a like a tenderizer hammer. Um, And yeah, it's been pretty good. Like I still don't 100% know what the fuck is going on, which I'm kind of happy with. It's just like a bunch of weird shit. You're like, what the fuck is this shit? So there's like four episodes left. I'm super excited. Um, but Noah will love it because uh, it turns out uh, Mr. Peaches or whatever the fuck his name was, who is long thought dead because he should be super old by now. Turns out he's not. But he's played by the incomparable Rutger Hauer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I knew Noah immediately would be super excited. He's like, Roger Howard, this is fucking amazing. New show. <laughs> I 
I love that you're dedicated enough to the podcast that as you're watching stuff, you just sit there wondering which one of us would like it. <laughs> well, it tur- luckily, it turns out I'm enjoying that stuff as well. So I'm just like, I should tell so-and-so about this because I bet they would enjoy it. <laughs> and I mean, I was going to end up talking about it anyway, so. <clears throat> I, f- I feel like we've waited a long time to do a Rugger Hauer episode. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. So, next episode, we decided we were in a horror mood after watching these Terminator teachers fight rival gangs in class of 1999. And I don't know how that ties into what we decided other than just action movies. But um, next week, we're going to be talking about two gems from the catalog of Mr. Jean-Claude Van Damme. And we'll be discussing Bloodsport and Lionheart. Two movies where he does underground fighting for reasons. Yes. (laughs) But in one of them, the underground fighting is in Japan, and the other one, the underground fighting is in America. Yes. Spoiler alert, he wins with a hurricane kick. (laughs) By the way, next week's episode will just be us going through the various matches that Jean-Claude Van Damme is in (laughs) and describing them in great detail because that's pretty much all that happens in these two movies. (laughs) Oh, come on. A little redheaded girl from Growing Pains is in Lionheart. That's a good point. (laughs) He does get her a tricycle at one point. That's true. So, yeah, we're going to be... uh, um, talking about Van Damme next week, which is a good way to spend the night anyway. I feel like that means we need to add another episode to the list with like a kickboxer and <laughs> the quest. <laughs> kickboxer and cockpuncher and whatever else. I definitely watch kickboxer again. I don't know about cockpuncher. That doesn't sound like something that's up my head. <laughs> that was actually Mark Hamill's character in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. I believe his name was Cock Knocker. Oh, you're right. What the fuck was Cock Puncher? I think it's just a thing you made up. No, this is gotta be. I'm looking this up. Although I don't know if Cock Puncher is a good thing to put into Google. <laughs> I, I am just... assuming that it is indeed a puncher of cocks. It seems somewhat self-explanatory. Oh, it's from the Onion movie. It's it's a fake trailer for a a fake Steven Seagal movie that Steven Seagal is not in called Cock Puncher. (laughs) I completely forgot about that. (laughs) And the movie logo is a a rooster doing karate. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) That's so good. Oh my god. See, I knew it was something. And I knew it was something not dirty. Probably well, something you, dirty too. Scroll down a little bit in your Google search. <laughs> tell me you would not watch a movie called Cock Puncher with Steven Seagal. If Steven Seagal was in it and it had that title, I feel like I have no choice. <laughs> I'd, have, I'd have an obligation to our listeners to watch it and come back with my thoughts. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> the full trailer for it from the Onion movie is up on YouTube. Uh, okay, I have to watch this later. Um, I don't know. Anything else before we wrap up? No, I think 
I think cock punch or something up pretty well. <laughs> Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.